0: Thanks for listening to the teaching podcast of Bridgepoint Church. Stay tuned after the podcast for a short message, but for now, let's jump right in. Well, good morning. It's great to see you guys, and it's great to have all of our Bridgepoint family joining us online as well. Church, could you give it up for everybody watching online this morning? I'm so thankful for you guys. It is a very special day here at Bridgepoint. It's Inside Life Group Sunday, and so for those watching online, it's probably not going to translate exactly the same, um, but as you walked in, no doubt you guys saw we got some amazing food in the lobby. It's all prepackaged and COVID-friendly, and in just a few minutes, uh, you're going to get a chance to walk around and explore some of the different life groups that we're offering here at Bridgepoint this semester. And the reason today is so special is because I think it's important that everyone join a group. In fact, I'll just lay my cards on the table. My hope is that every person here today leaves having signed up to be a part of a life group. Because I believe that everybody here, everything that's happened in my life, whether it's getting a job or a breakthrough that I was praying for, almost every single time it came through a relationship. I believe that some of us are here today and you're one relationship away from that prayer being answered. You're one relationship away from finding that job you've been looking for. You're one relationship away from breakthrough. And so I want you to join a group. We've got groups for everybody. We've got groups that are playing softball. We got groups that are doing Bible studies. We have groups for men. We have groups for women, for married couples, we've got parenting groups. We've got Financial Peace University Group. We've got student groups. Amen. There we go. Let's hear the students this morning. We've got groups for everybody, and so if you're here today, I believe that God has a group for you. Now, I think it's it's interesting that this Sunday falls in the middle of this series we're doing called Relationship Reset, because the whole idea behind this series is that in January, a lot of us kind of come up with new goals. We try to reset our health and fitness goals, or we try to reset our financial goals. And I think for a lot of us, now is a great time to reset in our relationships. In fact, next week, we're going to conclude the series. My wife, Bethany, is going to join me on stage. We're going to do a QA. and a So if you have any questions over anything we've talked about maybe a topic we haven't covered yet. There's a number that you can text. It should be on the screen. You can text in those questions anytime either today or during the week and we'll tackle those questions next Sunday. But today I want to talk about not just like a marriage relationship. I think that's what we think of a lot of times when we think of relationships, but but there's all kinds of relationships we have. Relationships with people at work, we have relationships with our neighbors, But every relationship, I think, falls into one of two categories. It's either a relationship that you walk away from and you feel excited, you feel energized, you feel empowered, or it's a relationship you walk away from and you're drained. You're exhausted when you hang out with them. You, like, got to go home and take a nap after you spend time with this person. I love this illustration. I was talking to our student director, Keith, this week, and he said, um, you know, there's some people that are nuclear power plants. They bring energy and life, and and they make you fired up after you spend time with them. But you take that same nuclear energy, and you put it in a bomb, and it doesn't bring life, but it destroys life. It can tear things apart. There's people in our life who are nuclear power plants, and then there's people who are nuclear bombs. And, And you know who these people are, because when they call you and you look at your phone, you think, I don't have time for this today. I don't have time to listen to you complain. I don't have time to listen to another sob. So like I do not have time for this. And I think sometimes we think, oh, we'll just cut these people out, but but sometimes we don't get to choose the relationships we have. There, there's some friendships you get to choose, there's some relationships, but you don't get to choose who your parents are. You don't get to choose the people that you work with. The people who live in your neighborhood, you don't get to choose those. And so we've got to kind of figure out how do we navigate relationships with these draining people. Uh, The whole point of this series, the the kind of bottom line we've been talking about every week, is that there is only one thing in this world you can control. What is that? It's ourselves. You can't control other people. It doesn't matter how much work you put in. You are not going to turn a nuclear bomb into a nuclear power plant. Right. Like, like women, you are not going to change him. He's not going to be different when you get married. That's not how this works. We can't change other people. The only thing we can do is control ourselves. And so the question is, how do we bring the best me into relationships with people who are draining? How can we be the best version of ourselves with people who can be taxing on us? There's this verse that I love in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I memorized this a long time ago. This is one of these principles that I live my life by. It says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Bad company corrupts good morals. In other words, you become the people you surround yourself with. So if you surround yourself with the wrong people, you're going to start experiencing wrong living, Some studies have suggested that you are basically the average of your five closest friends. So in other words, you show me your friends, and I can show you your future, because you are becoming the people you surround yourself with. Now, for some of you, as you're thinking about the five friends who you're closest with, you're kind of encouraged by that. And for some of you, you're trying to take a new stock of who you hang out with in your life. See, bad company corrupts good morals, and it's so easy sometimes to think, well, bad company, these are people who try to get you to do bad things. And yes, if someone's trying to get you to sell drugs or murder somebody, yes, that is bad company. But bad company is more than that. Bad company is anyone who tries to get you to settle for less than what God has for you. It's anyone who's trying to get you to to settle for 80% instead of going all in for Jesus. And our temptation sometimes is to think, well, what we need to do is we need to cut these people out. But, But I don't think that that's what Jesus would have us do. See, we hear so much about people saying, well, I'm going to cut this toxic person out of my life. Did you know that Jesus came for toxic people? The, the people that Jesus spent time with were, were prostitutes. They were tax collectors. They were sinners. They were the people that everybody else had cut out. That's who Jesus came to be with. See, I don't think the solution is to cut these people out of our life because they need the love of Jesus too. Jesus gave love to everybody. I mean, he fed thousands of people at a time. He would heal people, cast out demons, raise people from the dead. It was Jewish people. It was non-Jewish people. It was men and women. He loved everybody, but he only allowed access to the closest parts of himself to a few. So he had unlimited love, but he had limited access. He loved everybody, but, but did you know Jesus had 72 disciples? A lot of times we think, well, he had 12 disciples, but he had a lot more than that. In fact, in one passage of scripture, it says he sent out 72 of his disciples to go do some missions work. Now, he did have the 12 that he was extremely close with, and they followed him around for years. But even amongst those 12, he had three that gained special access to Jesus. It was Peter, James, and John. In fact, when Jesus went on a mountain to be transfigured into his heavenly form, he didn't take all the disciples. He only took the three. So we can love everybody but we have to limit access to the closest parts of who we are to just a few people who are going to help us become the people God wants us to be. If you remember from the first week in the series, we talked about that scripture that says that the human beings are made up of three parts. At the innermost part of our being, we are a spirit. Okay, you are a spiritual being. You're not a body that, that has a spirit. You are a spirit that happens to be encased in a body. That's why when we follow Jesus, he gives us his spirit, because we are spiritual beings. But if you go one layer out, if you think of them like concentric circles, the next layer is not the spirit, but the soul. And a lot of times we confuse those, but when scripture talks about the soul, it says that's where our emotions are. That's where our thinking, our will, our decision-making lies. It's within our soul. And then the outermost layer of ourselves is our body. This is the exterior part that everybody can see, and so we try to dress it up and impress people. But, but we have some people who want to get to those inner parts. We have some people who want to kind of speak to our soul. They, they want to try to control our thinking because someone who controls your thinking can control your living. Remember, bad company corrupts good morals. And so Jesus loved everyone, but some people he had to love from a distance, and he only allowed a select few to influence his thinking, his thoughts, his emotions. He allowed limited access to just a few people. I believe this is so important because it doesn't just impact our lives. The people that we allow to influence us, they impact our family, they can impact the generations that come behind us. I'm reminded of this story from the Old Testament. See, the Jewish people had been living in slavery in Egypt for over 400 years, and they had cried out to God, God, you had promised our forefathers that we would have this land of abundance. Uh, We would have some place to call our own, and, and now we're living as slaves. Would you send someone to rescue us, to save us, to redeem us? And so God sent a savior named Moses to lead the Jewish people out of bondage and into freedom. Now, they've been traveling around through the wilderness. They come right up to the edge of this land that God had promised them. And before they take the land, they decide, let's send some spies in to survey the situation and try to figure out what our plan of attack should be. So the spies go into the land, and when they come back, they give a report to the people. Numbers chapter 13, starting in verse 30. It says, then Caleb quieted the people in the presence of Moses and said, let's go up now and take possession of the land because we can certainly conquer it. So Caleb was one of these spies. He went in. And he said, listen, there's a lot of obstacles, but I believe that we can conquer this because God has promised this land to us. But then some of the other spies start to speak up. Verse 31, but the men who had gone up with him responded, we can't attack the people because they're stronger than we are. So they gave a negative report to the Israelites about the land they had scouted. The land we pass through to explore is one that devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw in it are men of great size. In fact, in the very next verse, they say, we looked like grasshoppers compared to them. We we were like little bugs. See, Caleb and this other spy named Joshua, they, they went in and they saw, you know what? God has promised us this land. We can do it. But the other 10 spies, all they saw was the obstacles. All they saw was the problem. It rattled their faith. And as a result, the Israelites listened to the wrong people. And they didn't take the promised land. And because of that, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 more years. And an entire generation passed away before Caleb and Joshua led God's people into the promised land. And I wonder if some of you are missing out on what God has promised you because you're listening to the wrong people. I wonder how many of us are going to impact our children because we miss out on what God has for us because we've surrounded ourselves with small-thinking people. We've surrounded ourselves with people who've convinced us that it's okay not to fully trust Jesus. We've surrounded ourselves with people who are causing us to settle for less than what God has for us. See, bad company corrupts good morals, but I also believe the right kind of company can lead us into the presence of God. And so in the time we have left, I just want to kind of walk through four kinds of people that we want to love them, but we got to love them from a distance. These are four kind of spirits or or character traits that people have, and I'm sure we could list many more, but I want to give you four this morning that we want to love them from a distance and then give you four kinds of people that we want to bring close and give them that access to our hearts. the first kind of person we need to love from a distance is a person who has a spirit of control. These are controlling people. Now, control can take one of two forms. There can be kind of overt control. This is a person who has kind of a position of authority. It could be a boss. It could be a parent. And they're kind of telling you what you have to do, and you have to obey them. Or it could even be somebody who is like using physical intimidation to force you to do something. Now, these kind of controlling people, that they're people that we need to keep at a distance because that's not a healthy relationship to be in. But I think more often than not, what we struggle with is not people who are exercising overt control, but people who are actually exercising covert control over us. These are people who like to make passive-aggressive comments, just kind of slide their opinion in there. And then all of a sudden you get up in your head and you're worried about what they're going to say or think. And you start changing your actions because of comments that they've made. Maybe an example of this would be, you might get in trouble for this. But but maybe it's a mother-in-law who uh, makes passive-aggressive comments in order to maintain a relationship with her son and drive a wedge in between the husband and the wife. Now, I'm sure nobody here has ever experienced anything like that. But listen, if that's the relationship you're in. Husbands, listen, I know that it's hard sometimes when you have to tell a family member that you love that they don't get that kind of access anymore. But the longer you allow that to go on, the greater the wedge in your marriage becomes. And you need to say, mom, the time for me to leave you has come and I need to cling to my wife. This is a relationship that needs to have the closest access to me. We cannot allow these things to continue because what you permit ends up becoming the culture where you live. If you allow passive-aggressive stuff to go on, it's going to become the culture of your family. You're going to notice it in you, and your spouse, and your kids. It could also be that friend who says, oh, man, saw you guys hung out last night. Sure would have been nice to get invited. And you're thinking, yeah, it would have been nice if I invited you. But there's a reason why I didn't. Because if I invited you, you would have come. And we didn't want that. Or, man, that looked like a nice vacation. I sure would love to do that. Yeah, I bet you would, but um, I like to go on vacation with my wife. I don't even like to bring kids on my vacation. I ain't bringing you on vacation. You know, there's certain people that are going to make those comments, and and those people that come, they, they want to control your thinking because they control your thinking, they control your living. And what we have to do is not allow people who have a spirit of control, but we need to invite in friends who are empowering to us, people who are actually encouraging us to follow the Spirit's leading. Because, by the way, the Spirit The Holy Spirit wants to have control in your life. And if God is not in control and somebody else is, you're going to be led in the wrong direction. And so what we need to do is we need to have people who aren't trying to control us, but who are pushing us closer to Jesus, who are calling us to listen to the Holy Spirit. They're empowering us to be the people that God has called us to be, not the people that they want us to be. So first thing, again, we're not cutting these people out. We need to love them. They need the love of Jesus because hurt people hurt people. And oftentimes the reason people control others is because at some point they were controlled. And so we want to love them. They want to hang out and have fun and bring fun to the party. Yeah, hang out. Come come be around us. But when they start controlling, we say, I love you, but I'm going to love you from a distance. So the first spirit we need to to kind of be aware of is the spirit of control. The second one is a spirit of negativity. And I'm about to get negative on Negativity. Because I cannot stand people who are negative. Like, they walk into work, first thing on Monday morning, I hate this job. I'm stuck in traffic on the way here. And they're like, I don't want that in my life. Like, there, there is an epidemic of negativity right now. Like, like, I used to like some of you guys till I became your friends on Facebook. And all I see is all the negative things that you don't like. You know, you're complaining about your kids, your husband, complaining about everything that's going on. Listen, the world doesn't need more negativity. We don't need that in our lives. We need people who help us to choose joy. In fact, I love the verse in Philippians 4.13. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And sometimes we think, oh, that means if you believe in yourself and you trust Jesus, you can do anything. That's not what that means, okay? That verse is taken out of context. And here's how I know this. You ready? It does not matter how much I practice, I'm never going to play in the NBA. Like, the market is not great for a 5'10 white dude who can't shoot, okay? It's just not going to happen for me. And I can love Jesus and I can work hard. It's not going to happen. That's not what the verse is talking about. See, right before that, Paul says, I'm going to give thanks in every situation, See, I've had seasons where I've had a lot, and I've had seasons where I've had nothing. I've had seasons where my belly's been full, and when I've been hungry. I've been in prison, and I've been free. But in all seasons, I can give thanks. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What he's saying is in every situation, you can choose joy. And has it ever occurred to you that sometimes the problems you're complaining about are the blessings someone else has been praying for? I'm going to say that again because I was like 20% better than the reaction that I got. Sometimes the problems that you're complaining about are the blessings that someone else has been praying for. You've been complaining about your kids and someone else has been praying that God would allow them to have kids. You've been complaining about your job and somebody else has been asking God that he would provide a job for them. You've been complaining that your house is falling apart and there's other people who are just praying that one day they'll have a roof over their head. And sometimes the things we are so negative about are actually the blessings that God has given us. I wanna make a confession to you guys. This is not something I'm proud of. But I love Disney World. Like I, I love it. We we went last year for the first time, and my oldest son just turned 13. And so for his 13th birthday, we took a guy's trip together. So last weekend we went to Disney World. And if you've ever been, you've seen this happen. I saw this happen right in line in front of me. You got these parents right? They've spent all this money to take their kids to Disney World, and the kids got the Mickey Mouse balloon, and they've got the Mickey ice cream bar. And they've got everything. And all of a sudden, near the end of the day, they're tired, and the kid starts crying. And what, what do the parents do? Do you realize how much you have? You, you have this Mickey bar, and we're in the most magical place on earth, and, and why are you complaining? And I wonder sometimes if God looks at us and all the blessings we have, and he goes, why are you complaining? I've given you all this. I've provided more than you need. You're in the most magical place on earth. You're in the the presence of me. I've given you all that you need. We need to have friends who remind us to choose joy. Now, The the third thing that we need to be aware of is we need to be aware of the spirit of temptation. Now, sometimes we think of temptation as maybe like, especially in relationships, in a a, a way that we might have an affair. And, And that certainly is something we need to be aware of. In fact, there may be some people that you are attracted to And the more time you are around them, the more you let your mind dwell on certain thoughts. We have to be very careful of that, because the more we think about something, the more likely we are to act on it. That's why we got to be careful about what movies we watch, what music we're listening to, what websites we're visiting. Because when we dwell on those thoughts, it leads to action. But I think that there are also people in our life who tempt us just to settle for 80%. You know, you, you don't need to serve. On Sundays? You know, being in a group is really not that important. You know, being around your family at nighttime, being present, they'll get over it. And there are people in our life that tempt us to settle for less than what God has. Or there's people in our life that when we confess things to them, they tell us it's okay. Oh, You know, everybody looks at porn. You know, it's really not that bad to talk about people and gossip. Everybody does it. See, we don't need relationships that bring temptation. What we need is relationships that help us find freedom. We need the relationships in our life that when we talk about the things we're struggling with, they don't say that it's okay. They say, man, can I pray for you? And can I actually meet with you on a weekly basis? Can we have some accountability here? Because I love you too much to see you walk down this pathway. We need people who are willing to stand up and fight for that relationship. We need people who are going to help us find freedom. the last one, and Honestly, I debated this one because it kind of fits in with control, but the last spirit we need to be aware of is the spirit of fear. There is so much fear right now. Like, can I just be honest? Like, I'm tired of hearing people talk about buy your ammo and your groceries. All right, let's just chill out for a minute, okay? So Some of us need to turn off cable news. All right, just log off the internet. Like it, it's okay. Some of us are so fearful. When 2 Timothy 1, 7, it says, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power. He didn't give us a spirit where we walk around afraid of things, but he gave you a spirit of of power. In fact, Jesus talked about things that were hard. It's not to say that there aren't things in this world that are scary. Jesus said there is a coming judgment at the end of time. That can be a scary thing. Jesus prophesied that within a generation, the Roman Empire would come in and completely wipe Jerusalem out. And that came true. There were thousands of people who were slaughtered. Jesus didn't shy away from talking about the hard things, but he did so in a way that didn't instill fear, but actually built their faith. And we need people in our life that aren't leading us down a pathway of fear, but that are actually building up our faith. We need people that are gonna encourage us, people that are gonna challenge us. People say, yes, there might be scary things. Listen, having faith doesn't mean we don't have fear. But having faith says, you know what, even in the face of all these obstacles, I know my hope and trust is in Jesus. And it doesn't matter what happens in this world. It doesn't matter what happens next week. It doesn't matter what happens next year. Jesus is still going to be in control, and I can put my faith in him. And when we surround ourselves with people who peddle fear, then we're going to find ourselves stuck. We'll never be moving forward. And I wonder if, if there's some relationships in our life today. We've allowed them so close to us that it's paralyzed us. And I think every single person here, myself included, has a next step that God is calling us to take today. And as long as we're living in fear, we'll never be able to do that. We need to have friends who help us build our faith. Now, we've talked a lot of theory so far. We've talked about how bad company corrupts good morals, and and we want to give unlimited love but limited access, and we've talked about some of those kinds of people, but what I really want for you is I want you to have some practical stuff that you can take with you as you you leave here today, and so I want to introduce you to somebody that, that, that I believe is one of the biggest people persons that I know. I mean, this is somebody who loves to connect people with each other. She loves to connect people to their next steps and to their purpose. I'm honored that she is my friend and that she works here at Bridgepoint. Would you guys give a warm Bridgepoint welcome to Miss Julie Gubert. How's it going? Thank you. Good. <laughs> um, so obviously I know you and a lot of us here do, but there may be some uh, some guests, some people who have just been visiting Bridgepoint for a few weeks and they don't know you yet. So just introduce yourself and talk about your role here at Bridgepoint.
1: Yeah, So I'm Julie Gubert and I get to be the Connections Director, which means I basically connect people to God, to each other, and to this church family. And I do that through life groups and through growth track.
0: Julie does an amazing job. There is not a better Connections Director out there than Julie. And so we're just honored that uh, you're here at Bridgepoint. And, you know, this morning we've been talking about that you look like the people you surround yourself with. And as Christians, we really want to look like Jesus. So we've got to get closer in our relationship with him. What are some ways that you have used in your personal life to grow closer to Jesus?
1: I think we all know the answer to this. It's spending time with him, right? And it's just kind of like in relationship with each other. I think about, you know, I can read the Bible, and I did that for years, just kind of reading it in one ear and out the other, kind of like a textbook. And then I realize i got to be missing something. And so I realize I need to start engaging with it a little bit better, like it should be a conversation. And and so, I mean, I think about if, if you two were setting up, you and your wife were setting up furniture in a, in a room in your house, One of you just wouldn't do all the talking. One of you would say, I want the chair here. I want the TV here. And you'd work it out. And I realized that kind of interaction is what God wants with us. He wants us to wrestle. I mean, I wrestle with him. I um, write in a journal, and I highly recommend that you try it if you've never done that. I will, anything I read in the Bible, I ask him questions. I'll say, I mean, when I read the story about Abraham almost having to sacrifice his son, I write in my journal, God, why you ask him to do that? That's mean. I'm not going to do that. I don't think I'm willing to do that, right? And, and interact with him in that way. A few weeks ago, when we, well, during this 21 days of prayer, I was led to the, the verse in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, that talks about God's grace is sufficient for us. And it said in there that we can vote, we can be excited about our weakness, boast about it, so that Christ's power would rest on us. And I thought, okay, that seems kind of weird. But I drew in my journal. I said, okay, I'll I'll give you my weaknesses. I'll write them down here. I drew a picture of myself, and all underneath there I wrote, the things that are of concern to me. So-and-so's health. My bristly relationship with so-and-so. Whatever I've got to do this week. And then I said, okay. And I drew Jesus over the top. And I drew in the folds of his robe. I wrote everything that I've learned about his character, um, that he's peace. He's my provider. He's my guide. He's my rock. And I said, okay, if you, this verse is true, then put that pressure, that heaviness of the power of you so heavy on me that it squashes all these things that are of concern or weak in me. And I'll never forget that. I'll never forget those verses because of that that engagement with him on it.
0: That's so good. By the way, if you're not taking notes, you got to be writing some of this. This is a good stuff right here. Um, man, I love your talk about that personal relationship with God, talking to him, wrestling with him. Because I think for a lot of us, it's really easy. We think about God as distant, far off, like some kind of energy. But but God is personal. And, and because of that, the, when we get close to him, it changes the way we relate to other people. Um, as you get closer to Jesus, how does that um, help you relate to people, especially those people who are in those draining relationships?
1: Well, actually, when I heard you talking about those four, I was like, oh, I can be that. <laughs> I can be each of those four, can't we all? And I think as we spend time with God, he works with us on those things. He kind of, and as we're in relationship with other people, he works with us on those things to help us to get better uh, I've, I think about how t- we can be overrun with our own insecurities, but he is willing to work with us in those. I think of being with God and spending time with him is like putting an oxygen mask on. He is c- unconditionally loving and unconditionally accepting of me. And so the more time I spend with him and he reminds me of that, the less bristly I am about myself and about other people, right? Right? some things that I've learned here recently that have been so life-giving to me and just good truths to kind of camp on. One is that Jesus tells us that he, he has experienced every temptation that we've ever experienced, right? In Hebrews 4. And he all, we also know we're made in his image. So we have all of emotions like he has, right? So that means I can sit there and go, hey, when have you felt like this? When I'm experiencing and going through something tough, how about you, God? Show me that you know, because you want to relate to me, so where are you? When when Rick disappoints me or a good friend disappoints me and I ask that question, he's led me before and said, hey, what about when I was in Gethsemane and I was going before my father saying, please, take this cup. I don't want to do this. How many of us have said, I don't want to do that, God, right? He relates to us in that way, but he also showed me he had his three best friends Hey, stay here and pray with me. I'm getting ready to do something really hard. Will you be with me? And they screwed up. They failed him. So I learned two things from that. One is that our best friends sometimes, our closest people, can disappoint us. And, and the other thing is that I recognize sometimes I put too much pressure on my friends when what I really, they can't meet the needs, the deepest needs of my heart. I need to go a further place with just Jesus alone alone. And let him help me with those things. Isn't that a good truth? And then another one is that Jesus is constantly interceding for us with the Father. That's Romans eight twenty six. Okay, so picture this: you've got God sitting up there on the throne. Jesus is up there right beside him, and he's sitting there talking to God about you. He's your cheerleader. I th- I, I know he was sitting there going, God, Daddy. Julie is going to be freaking out because she's going to have to get on stage with Matt on Sunday. What are we going to do to help her to have the courage to do that? And then he says, hey, let's give her some great sunrises when she's coming to and from 21 days of prayer, and that'll show her that we're as consistent as a sun coming up every day. And let's have her spend some time with a friend that when she shares something, the friend says, wow, that's valuable. That helped me. So that she would know she has something worthwhile to share on the stage. Do you get it? That he's up there and you can call him on it. Are you talking to each other up there? I need some help down here, right? So engage with him in that way. And let, him, let yourself rehearse the things you know he's saying about you. And then climb up there with him and sit there. He, he tells us. He says, you, you, don't have, you have small-minded thinking, right? When somebody offends me. I'll get in my journal and I'll just write, oh, this is all the things they did. They said this, this is what I want to say, this is all the stuff that I that make me mad. You need to punish them, God. Here's what you could do to punish them, right? We're even willing to do that. And then I sit for a minute and then I hear I hear a sense of God going, okay, would you like me to give you some perspective now? Some some perspective from a place of perfection. Let me give you some things to consider what else might be going on with this situation. So all this to say, I think the more we spend time with God and just breathe in how much he loves you and how much he accepts you right as you are, and that is experiencing his lavish love, which then lets me go, I could love somebody that's not, not lovable, but I could love them anyway because I'm being loved so well. Does that make sense? That is so good. Um,
0: and I love that you're intentional in your time with Jesus. Like you don't just kind of go in and say, well, well what are we going to? But you have these things that you're wrestling with and you're talking to him about. I, I know you too are very intentional in your other relationships. And so we've talked about these draining people. But what are you looking for um, in friends that you want to allow close access to your heart? What, what are the qualities that are important to you?
1: I think finding the right kind of people to get cl- to allow closeness with you is sort of testing it out. Um, I'm not the kind of person that's very easily or comfortable with sitting down and having coffee and you share your life story and I'll share mine. That that feels like ugh, a lot of pressure. And what if they say something bizarre and I don't know how to react? And am I going to be pressured to say a lot of stuff? I would rather do something like an activity, like go for a walk or, or work beside somebody, plan an event, uh, serve somewhere, where there's another goal in mind and getting to know each other is in small increments and sharing little pieces that are fairly harmless about yourself at first to test the waters. Here's what I mean. I'm looking for fruit, okay? Galatians 5.22 tells us the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Anybody that you want to give access to needs to be demonstrating some of those fruits, right? We're like fruit inspectors. When you go in the grocery store, you don't pick the melon that you could that has all these dents and whatever, and you could squeeze it in your hand, do you? Right? So I'm going to love the melon from afar, but I'm not bringing it home with me into my inner business, right? So that that's the kind of thing. So I think of... Like, recently, I mean, we, we we remodeled our bathrooms in our house. So I could tell a friend that, and I could say, we, we've, we've worked for a couple of years now to save some, the money to be able to do that. And what is that person's response? Do, do they say, oh, wow, that's so awesome for you guys? We went through financial peace last year, and we have a goal of being debt-free by the end of this year so that we can do some things like that. That's exciting. Is that fruit... Yes, that person is demonstrating that they are growing and they're growing in that fruit of self-control. So that's a person that might, I might say, yeah, that's a green light. That's somebody that I might want to get to know further or look, give a little more access to. Basically looking for people that are growing, that are trying to improve themselves, um, as opposed to the person that's always telling me about somebody else's business. Are they telling me about what God's showing them? Are they helping me to think, understand how they're coming about making decisions? Are they self-aware? I, I, sometimes we all have these moments of slipping into those fleshly behaviors, right? That we that you've talked about earlier. But when they mess up, how do they respond? Do they? I know you talk about blaming, complaining, and defending, right? Is is that's not good fruit. But if it's somebody that says, "Hey, I offended you, and I realize now." How I did that, and I'm really sorry. I'm gonna to try to work at that, right? So that's a person that's self-aware, and people that are other-centered. I think of uh, just last semester, I had a we were doing a small group, and one of the questions in the study was, "In what way do you need to mature?" And I thought, hmm, who am I gonna ask that? Because it said, "Ask some people that are close to you," and I was like, ooh, you know, how, you know how this goes. You could ask somebody. That would give you a good answer, and oh, you don't—you're good. Everything's good, but if you have the right people in your inner circle, you can ask them, and you can know you're safe. Kelly Campbell's the per, one of the people that I asked because she has lots of fruit over the years, and she's a safe place. You know what she said to me? She said, "Julie, you are so passionate about helping people grow and helping them take their next steps, and that's so awesome." But sometimes when we're bringing people through growth track, they need a little bit more time. They need to have a little bit more space. They're not sure what their next step might be. There might be another person that's supposed to help them come up with their next step. And you need to grow in patience in that area. And I thought, that's true. That is true. I receive it. I receive it. And don't we all know that the thing that is our strength is often our weakness if it's not monitored and carefully guided by God and people that are close to us that can speak truth into our lives. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah.
0: I love what you said about um, you can do things alongside somebody. So it can be shoulder to shoulder instead of face to face. Because I'm the same way. I don't always love to sit down and share my heart with people the first time That I meet them, and that's what I love how we kind of even set up our groups here at Bridgepoint. Is you know, we have a group this time that's doing softball, and so that's so very, you know, shoulder to shoulder, we're gonna get to know each other. But through that, um, you start to see the fruit in people's lives, and you say, That's somebody that I do wanna develop that relationship with. Um, kind of on that, that same vein then is you've know, you, you set the bar pretty high for, for what you're looking for, for that close access. Um, so is this kind of like you know if you're looking for somebody to marry and you're like, oh, all the good ones are taken? Or are there people who meet that, that bar? Where do you find people like that?
1: Well, we got to remember we're all in process, right? So we're all growing. So somebody that was terribly mature... Immature 10 years ago could have been growing and they're a different person now. So I think you find these people in different places. They can be at the gym. They can be at the ball field when you're sitting on the bleachers beside somebody watching your children's games. Um, you certainly can find them in church because why does somebody come to church? At some level, they're thinking that closeness with God or taking a step towards God would be good for them. So that's you, isn't it? That's, that's all of us. And then people that are... Willing to get in relationship with other people, like in life groups, uh, whether it's softball or whether it's a Bible study, that's somebody that says, hey, it must be, it's probably good for me to grow and be in community with people as well as with God. So I think we can find those, and they're everywhere. We just have to look for them.
0: Yeah, and I know. Some of my closest relationships I did find through life groups. I know Matt and Aaron Harrison are good friends with me and my wife, and we met through life groups. And um, even last night, we hung out at a Mexican restaurant like all good Christians should do um, on the weekend. But um, what are some of your personal experiences with being a part of a group, and how has that impacted you?
1: Uh, Wow. I have so many years of memories and relationships with different people over the years. I I liken it to when you're running a relay race. Did anybody ever do relay races? Somebody in here? Okay. So you know how when you're doing your leg of the relay race, it's I mean it's work. Boy, you're you're on your own and you see the competitors over there and you've got to do your work. But when you get to the exchange zone where there's somebody else on your team that's going to be running in that same space so that you could pass the baton beautifully, you suddenly get a lot of energy. You suddenly can do it because you're getting ready to make a pass-off and you've got somebody running with you. I feel like that's kind of the way it is. We, Rick and I have had, wow, we were getting ready to go through one of our most difficult seasons of life with our teenagers, and we had just signed up for a parenting group. We didn't know what was getting ready to hit us, but God did. And he put three other couples in that group with us, and those couples carried us. They carried us emotionally. And they held our feet to the fire to parent with wisdom and calm instead of fear and control and out of our own insecurities. And then we also, we were in a marriage group one time that had couples that had just been three months married up to 38 years married. And we had so much fun in that group. Laughed and talked and talked about tough things as well as easy things. And what's funny is when you're in a group with your spouse, boy, you, they say things sometimes you're going, what, why do you say that there? you have never heard you talk about that before, right? So you learn things about your spouse and even watching how they interact with other people and what you learn in, through other couples and go, wow, we've got that down pat. I'm glad we don't have that problem, but we have this other, and here's somebody else that can help us. So lots of good. And also I would say I've encountered bristly people in groups, and I'm, and, and God uses that to show me how to handle bristly people in my family or in my work, right?
0: I love that illustration of passing the baton. Because I know one um, thing that happened in Life Group that really impacted me is, this had to be like four or five years ago, I was in a group with um, one of our elders, Peter Newman. He went to be with the Lord last year, but I'll never forget what he told me. Um, I was complaining about how much kids cost. I mean, parents relate to that. Like, kids are just (laughs) expensive, I remember at the time I got three boys and they, they weren't even teenagers and just they eat all the time. And, and I was like, how am I going to afford this when they get older? And he said, um, don't think about your budget like line items. Think about it like circles. And one day the diaper circle is going to disappear, but the food circle might get bigger. And that's such a simple thing but that brought me so much peace. And then a couple years later, uh, Bethany and I were leading a group for newly married couples and, and they're talking about the same thing. And I was able to share that information and bring peace to them. Um, so he shared, something with me and I was able to pass on so not only was I blessed but I got to be a blessing as a part of a group um, so I know we're everybody's probably ready for food ready to, to see what groups there are but I'm sure there's uh, some people here they're sitting on the fence they are thinking, okay I get it we should be in a group we need to be in a relationship but but I don't know if I have the time or you know it, it's it's scary to, to be a part of that or maybe some people are like I don't even need any more friends like somebody's sitting on the fence right now what would you say to them
1: well I, w- I would say you got to think about what do you, who do you want to be in 3 or 4 months when summertime hits do you want to be a person that that defends how you are and your family your family you could ask your family what are the things about you that they wish that you would work on that you would change right no he's always got a a, a quick temper no she's forever uh, passive aggressive do, do you want people to say that about you or do you and do you, Or do you want to sit there and think, I want to be changed. I I want to be a person that at the end of these next four months, people go, wow, what is going on with her? Something good is happening in her life. I think of, uh, I I liken it to Play-Doh. Everybody played with Play-Doh when they were kids, didn't they? Right? So which Play-Doh did you want to be near? Did you want to be near the can of Play-Doh that had been worked with, that was nice and flexible and soft and loving and approachable, did you want to be with, play with that Play-Doh, or did you go for the can that had been sitting at the back of the cupboard that was, you opened it up and you could just look inside and go, "Ooh, I can already see it, it's just stiff as a brick, it's cynical, it's defensive, it's guarded. Um, God uses us, we're like play he wants to shape us, he wants to put us near other people. So that he can shape us through other people. And at the end of the day, the activities, all the reasons why we don't want to do groups, that can still go on. But if you have a sweet thread of what God's doing in you through people and through himself, your activities will be completely different. There will be something really awesome happening in you. And I would bring this back to the beginning when I was talking about the oxygen mask. If you are a person that's like freaking out, I can't do this, I don't want to do this, go and write it all down. Write down all the reasons why you don't want to do a group. And I've, I've done this before where there I felt guided to go to a specific group, and I really didn't want to go to that one, right? So I told God all the reasons. I don't like the leader. I don't rub right with her. I don't like her. I'm not doing that group. And then ask God, what do you think about it? And listen to what he has to say and have the courage to believe he knows what's best for you, and he's going to walk with you no matter what. Yeah, and
0: I would encourage you guys, um, our, our groups are in semesters, so the, the groups are going to last about 10 to 12 weeks. And, and in 12 weeks, you're going to either say, man, I wish I would have done this, or I'm glad that I did. And you need people in your life who are going to help you accomplish all the things that God wants to do in your life. I loved what you said earlier, too. You joined a parenting group before you went through that difficult season. And, and not to be the bearer of bad news, but some of us are going to go through some difficult seasons in the next few weeks and months. And it could be that God wants to prepare you through being a part of one of these groups. And so, uh, man, Julie, I'm so thankful for you. Would you just honor her and let you, her know how much you appreciate <laughs> Well, we're about to have a time where we can check out the groups for everybody who's watching online right now. You're going to have a QR code on the screen, and you can also go to bpc.life to register for a group. So we're going to let you do that. I'm going to tell you the groups are going to get full. They're, they're going to fill up in the next few minutes. So go ahead and register for one of those groups. We thank you guys so much for joining us online, and we'll see you next Sunday. Thanks for listening to the Bridgepoint Church Podcast. I hope we've shared something meaningful for you wherever you're at in your spiritual journey. Just so you know a little bit more about us, we meet on Sunday mornings in downtown Woodstock, but we also meet during the week in what we call live groups, and that's where the really good stuff happens for us. If you're becoming a regular listener of this podcast, we'd like to invite you to make it relational, just like we do during the week. Grab a Bible, invite some friends to join you, and turn this into a conversation. If you're already a regular listener and would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by visiting us online at bpc.life and choosing the giving option that works best for you.